0: From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's What the Job. I'm Matt
1: Ray. I I will say every single one of the jobs that I've probably had after my first job has been because of a relationship. It's been because somebody has said, hey, to hiring manager, you should call Salima. Or they've said to me, hey, there's this job that's coming up. I think you should apply for it.
0: My guest this episode is Salima Ibrahim. Salima is a branch manager in external and intergovernmental relations with the City of Edmonton. We talk about the importance of being deliberate as opposed to transactional in workplace interactions, the difference between mentorship and sponsorship, and how hard work and being open to new opportunities can lead to success. What the job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that through the TD Insurance Mellish Monics program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance. Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com UALberta ualbertaalumni. So what's your name and what's your job?
1: Hi, my name is Salima Ibrahim and I am the branch manager of external and intergovernmental relations at the city of Edmonton.
0: And what do you do for that job? What's mm-hmm. a day like in that job?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, lots of meetings. I mean, it's a it's a big title, but it essentially means that I manage all of uh, the city stakeholder relations and government relations. So, um, you know, now is a really interesting and exciting time. We had a change in the provincial government, and so our relationship with both the federal and the provincial government are really important. So we're just. You know, doing a lot of relationship building and strategy and kind of strategic foresight thinking right now.
0: So is that a lot of working with a lot of different people at a lot of different levels? Like you can maintain a lot of relationships?
1: Yeah, that's actually a really good way of putting it. Yes. So um, we've got a I've got a team in place um of kind of different different levels but ultimately at the end of the day everybody is a relationship builder so everybody holds different portfolios i've got somebody who maintains a relationship with the post-secondary sector got somebody who does the same with the private sector got you know a bunch of people who do it with government but yeah we're ultimately in the business of relationship building um with obviously the the outcome being to move the city's priorities forward
0: So understanding and communicating what the city wants to do in relationship to other other levels of government?
1: Yeah, is really important. So we take our direction, obviously, from council. Um, Council sets the priorities, and then we're mandated to actually act and activate on them. I would say in terms of a skill set... Writing is extremely important. So I'm a political science. I got my undergraduate in political science at the University of Alberta. And so when I think about the skill set that I'm using today that I learned back in those days, writing is critical. I remember there was actually one semester where I took five political science courses and I was literally churning out a paper a week. Like it was unbelievable. But you learn how to be really succinct. Um, you know, briefing notes need to kind of be two pages. You got to be on message and you need to take a huge volume of information and essentially distill it down to the key points. That I think is a really, regardless of what uh, what degree you do through the Faculty of Arts, I think that that kind of writing ab- ability to synthesize, think through things, figure out what's important and what's not important is a skill set that was really valuable and is really valuable.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like... Uh... Part of this job, if I'm right, is Mm -hmm. not just it's it's kind of a dual channel communications in the sense that you have to be able to understand what's coming from your office, what the priorities of council are, for example, if I'm getting this right, and then also then be able to communicate that what you're hearing from the other levels of government back to council or whoever you represent. Yeah,
1: that's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. So a lot a lot of what our team does is. Kind of strategic foresight and intel. So, what's going on outside of the city, and how is that going to impact city operations?
0: So, do you do a lot of research as well?
1: We do. Yeah, I mean, we've got pockets in our organization that do kind of the strategic foresight thinking really well. But I would say that we kind of distill that and kind of bring it into one place, and then and then move, move kind of move it up the chain. But We've got colleagues across the city in different departments that are absolutely amazing. And, you know, you've got things like, you know, people in our operations department looking at things like um, artificial intelligence and self-driving cars and self-driving buses. Like that's their forte, right? They're in that business already. And so what will city operations look like in 10 years or what will infrastructure look like in 10 years or what will planning look like in 10 years where... It's actually a really exciting time at the city right now because we just um, released our 10-year strategic plan, which is called Connect Edmonton, and the nice thing about that is that it's actually it's Edmonton strategic plan, so it's not the city of Edmonton strategic plan, we're all in the business of building a great city, and um, and we relationships and partnerships are a really big enabler of our Connect Edmonton plan. So the UFA, for example, would have you know a component of that because having great post-secondary institutions, having great alumni, having great students are all part of what makes Edmonton Edmonton. And then um, alongside that, we've got a city plan right now. So essentially, what is the city going to look like in ten years? So what do we envision Edmonton looking like? I remember. Growing up here, but leaving for ten years and coming back, and Edmonton looked totally different in that decade. So I can only imagine what it's going to look like when I think of twenty twenty
0: nine. Can you? What are some of the things that you imagine the city looking like? Well, what are?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, that's kind of the the work that our teams are doing right now. And I mean, if you go to our website, the city plan is uh, is on the website, and the teams doing literally hundreds of kind of engagements to hear from everybody in terms of what they'd like the city to be. I mean, the interesting thing I think about is just, you know, with all of the advances in technology and some of just the sheer disruptions that are happening around everyday business, you know, what is what are office buildings going to look like, for example, like will people even be working in office buildings or will we all be kind of working from home in a really super virtual manner? Or will all of the office buildings become kind of these WeWork towers, right? Like you hear a lot about WeWork in New York. or
0: What's WeWork? Sorry, I don't know.
1: WeWork is essentially co-working space. but they've kind of like souped it up and jazzed it up right and so it makes it really fun but i mean the cool thing about that is you could have somebody from private sector sitting beside you on the left hand side and like a not-for-profit provider on the right hand side but you're all in one space and so i do think that there's something kind of neat about that um you know artificial intelligence edmonton is really well known for that and so what does ai look like in terms of disrupting things I mean, education, you could even argue is kind of ripe for disruption, right? Like, are people going to be sitting in classrooms in 10 years learning the way that we did? Like, I remember being in Tory for four years for all of my classes in a very kind of physical way. Is that what is that what learning at a post-secondary level is going to look like in 10 years? So these are these are the questions that everybody's thinking about and grappling with. And I think it's fascinating. I, that's that's the fun part of my job.
0: How did you get into the kind of work that you do now? I mean, it, I'm sure it's a long path.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it is.
0: what did you did you come out of U of A thinking I want to get into policy? I want to get into working for government.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I, you know, what when I went through my undergrad, I thought probably like 80 percent of my class that I wanted to be a lawyer, um, but I also really wanted to just uh, work right after university, and I had a bit of a sheer reality of just student loans. During, that, during those years, there was something called the Federal Student Work Experience Program. So between my third and fourth year, I'd actually worked for the federal government. Um, and then I was lucky enough when I graduated that they offered me a term position. So I took it, but I will say it was in human resources. And the reason I got hired is because I'm bilingual and they needed somebody to essentially write bilingual policies. So it was like night and day from what I had studied when I was I did my political science, but I focused on international political economy. But I thought, you know what, it was a great opportunity to get into the organization, uh, federal government, and then I was just going to kind of see how it goes. So I uh, started in HR in a fairly junior position, and then somebody took a mat leave, and so I became kind of the HR consultant and did my staffing certification and classification certification and kind of realized I enjoyed HR and then a job opened up in our deputy minister's office, um, which was much more aligned with what I had studied. And I knew her because I decided to volunteer on the United Way campaign. And so if I had to give a piece of advice to students, it would be one, one, Sometimes think more about the um, organization versus your particular job and sometimes it's just a matter of getting your foot in the door and then kind of working your way up. And honestly that volunteer experience in terms of volunteering with the United Way campaign gave me some exposure to the Deputy Minister so when I applied for the position she kind of knew who I was. And one thing led to another, I worked for her office for about two and a half years. Um, her husband was a lawyer and so, you know, we had some discussions around whether I really wanted to do law or not and I remember shadowing him for, for a day and realized I, I actually don't want to be a lawyer. I love public policy. Um, and so worked for her for a couple of years and then I, um, decided to go and do my master's degree. So I moved over, I moved to England and I went to the, I went to LSE and I will say, you know, I'd been out of school for four years, but the relationships I developed with my profs during my undergrad, because I needed two reference letters, I was able to go back to them four years out and essentially say, would you guys be open to writing me a reference letter for my master's degree? And they did. So I think even when you're a student, this whole idea about like relationships and being intentional, because you, you just never know who you're going to call upon for your next step. Um, I think it's something else that I, you know, if I when my kids go to university, I'm going to tell them, like, make sure you're really intentional. And you may not get along with like every single one of your profs, but you'll probably find two or three that are real gems.
0: When you say intentional. Yeah. What do what do you mean by that?
1: I think that in this day and age, there are so many things that are just transactional. I.e., I'm going to class, I'm going to do my thing, I'm going to write my paper, I'm moving on, right? Moving on to year two, moving on to year three, moving on to year four. I think intentionality is around really sometimes like first of all slowing down a little bit and thinking to yourself, hey, do I like this person's like teaching style? Do I like their leadership style? You know, go and visit your profs during their they kind of open hours and sometimes just have a discussion around them. I ended up literally probably following two professors because I just absolutely loved the way that they taught, but that also built a relationship where four years after I graduated, I was able to go back to them and say, would you guys be open to writing me a reference letter? And they did. So that's, that's what I mean by intentionality is just being really de- deliberate and authentic and You know I think profs really like care for their students and uh, I had the pleasure of um, being the MC for the Faculty of Arts awards ceremony this year and I sat beside a couple of the assistant deans and they too I mean when you talk to them they just their face kind of starts glowing when they talk about some of the students that they teach and I think that that's I think that can be a really special relationship.
0: Talking about relationship building, I mean, and that's your job now. Mm-hmm. Do you still practice that sort of authenticity and uh, intentionality, as mm-hmm. you called it, when you're working now, because in politics and trying yeah. to build those relationships or is it a different ballgame?
1: No, I would say even more so now. I think so. I think that, I don't know, I just feel like something shifted and I was like, I'm t- I don't know whether it's like social media or just the ability to access so much information But I think kind of slowing down and being intentional and deliberate, you actually have to, like, think about it now, right? Because otherwise you can can move so easily into just being transactional. I need to talk to you because I need A. I need to talk to you because I need B versus... Let's talk together because we're probably all in the business of making Alberta a great province. And so how do we actually like do that together? Or we're all in the business of making Edmonton a great city. Like, how do we actually do that together?
0: Recognizing shared goals.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: And it's I think a lot of people struggle with networking because (laughs) they think that networking is a huge performance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, You put on this mm -hmm. extrovert face and you go out there and you just chat people up. Yeah. But it seems like it can often just be about finding common goals or common passions and articulating those.
1: I think so. And I think it's also, I mean, I remember being an undergraduate student and I worked at CAPS and I remember telling, you know, students like, go and network, go and network. And You know, sometimes I think you just have to put yourselves in rooms to meet people because I do believe that in, I I will say every single one of the jobs that I've probably had after my first job has been because of a relationship. It's been because somebody has said, hey, to hiring manager, you should call Salima or they've said to me, hey, there's this job that's coming up. I think you should apply for it. So I've been really lucky um, with having some great mentors in my job. But I would actually say, so I mean, so I started off in the federal government, went and did my master's, worked for the city of Calgary for a couple of years, and then my husband and I actually moved to Toronto and I I joined Deloitte as a management consultant. And the term, they don't actually use the word mentorship, they actually use sponsorship. And I think that pivot from mentorship to sponsorship is actually huge, because a sponsor in that context is actually somebody who's senior who kind of makes senior level decisions but is really keeping their eye out in terms of how can I progress Salima what are the career opportunities that I need sitting down and actually saying what are your goals for the next like where do you want to be in five years if you want to be a senior manager here are the five things you better focus on everything else is just noise so I do think that I've I think that like when you move, particularly in large organizations where people can just kind of get lost, I think finding a sponsor, being really clear and articulate about what you want, being realistic about the timelines as well. So, you know, I came in as a junior HR consultant. If I had said I wanna be a director in three years, people would have probably been like, Yeah, that's just not gonna happen. So I think there's also just a dose of like reality. Um And I think the other thing, the other piece of advice I got early on in my career, which is really useful, is sometimes doing a lateral move, not just thinking about moving up, is equally as beneficial because sometimes you just need to build a really core skill set at that level and moving into different positions but at the same level gives you that before you move up.
0: I'm interested in this idea of having goals in your career or like Mm -hmm. saying that I want to have perhaps a specific job and finding someone who can teach you the ways to get there. But I'm also curious on how that might merge with the idea that once you start doing a job, maybe you discover, oh, I like this aspect more. So is there a sort of flexibility to it too?
1: I think so. I mean, I would say my job's been all about flexibility. (laughs) When I started off in political science, I never in a million years thought I'd become a management consultant, for example. And yet I absolutely loved my time with Deloitte. And I think that the skill set that I got um, in a company like that and kind of the management consulting training that I received was fantastic. And then I moved over to the not-for-profit sector you know, in an executive director position where I was responsible not only for building relationships, but like bringing money in the door. If you had asked me as an undergrad, could you see yourself in like a fund development position? I would have said like, absolutely not. Like I could never ask people for money, but I think if you're open to the opportunity and if you're open to learning and I'm not gonna lie, I think a lot of, uh, part of it is luck, but honestly 80% of it is just hard work, right? And so if you're willing to work hard, I do think that even in this job market, the jobs are there. Um, Now, I I think the job market's quite different from when I entered, Um, but I do think that, you know, hiring is going on and people are looking for, you know, people who can just kind of roll up their sleeves and get the work done.
0: Yeah, I think that's good advice no matter what, what the uh, employment totally. situation yeah. is looking like.
1: And that, that gets noticed. I would just say that.
0: It's interesting about talking about finding, like we always talk on this podcast about finding your passion. Everybody talks about finding your passion. But I think there's also something to be said in what you mentioned about being open to opportunities as mm, well. Yeah. And sometimes perhaps through being open to opportunities, you might find that you're interested in something you never would have imagined, which is what you, you touched on.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, finding your passion, I'm like, I kind of cringe when I hear yes. that term <laughs> a I little do, bit. I do
0: too, even though I say it.
1: <laughs> I uh, I think, so for me, if I had to define, uh, you know, what your passion is, I would actually just say it's public policy. I love public policy, but in my career, that's looked really different. I've worked for like federal government in public policy. I've worked as a management consultant where I was part of the strategy and operations public sector group. So I was consulting to government. I've worked in a not-for-profit that was around um, Canadian public policy. And now I work at a municipal government. So the theme of public policy, which is my passion, has always been there. But the jobs have actually looked really different. So I think that, you know, you just activated in different ways. And I don't know. I'm all about kind of bringing your whole self to work as well. I don't think that your career should be the only thing that you're passionate about. You know, I think that when I'm when I'm hiring people, I'm just I want to know who they are, like what makes you tick, what makes you get up in the morning. And, you know, just there needs to be more than just the work aspect there.
0: Yeah. And we've talked to people who talk about you, you can do volunteer and you can yeah. be part of organizations and yeah. those things are also a part of your I know career identity or your, your, your personal identity, your passion. I want to go back quickly to mentorship Ooh. or sponsorship yeah. as you called it.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, do you play that role a lot now? Are there people that reach out to you and mm-hmm. how does that process go?
1: Uh, so the answer is yes. Uh, lots of people reached out to me, particularly kind of young women who are starting their careers I feel like I've, I've hit a place both in my personal life and in my career where I am all about giving back. There was an individual who was so integral to me and is still, I would consider, a mentor, but who I started working with when I was about 24, 25. And, uh, and I just remember being that like young individual, kind of questioning yourself all the time, trying to figure out your next step. And she just provided a certain level of certainty and security. And all I need you to do is put in 120% in terms of trying. And if you fail, that's okay. Like, I'm your backup. We'll move on. And I did. I I, I made a few, you know, colossal mistakes. Um, but I moved on and I learned. And I would say I'm still learning today. But, yeah, I definitely have people... Um, you know, usually send me an email and say, hey, can we meet for coffee? I actually met for somebody for coffee actually just yesterday that I had just met who got hired to, uh, I'd met her at the Network of Empowered Women through the UFA School of Business. She got hired into Deloitte in Toronto. So I sat down with her for about an hour and just said, here's what you can expect. And if anything comes up, just give me a call. So
0: I'm talking about failure. It must make it easier for people to fail when they know they have someone in their corner who's supporting them and giving them advice. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, public sector organizations are awesome. They're also a little bit funny because, you know, you're on the taxpayer dollar. And so failure, you know, there's not a huge appetite for that. And so, you know, a big conversation I have with my team, and I think the mayor's also talked a little bit about it, is but like, how do you make public sector organizations more innovative and be okay with a certain you know appetite for risk and what that what that looks like and I think it's different in every organization but yeah I would you know what life's short somebody told me that a long time ago and I think that uh, you know there are days that are going to feel better than others but you just pick yourself up and move on
0: one other thing I want to talk about is in your career in your in your path have you had times where you felt like you were really stuck where you were or mm-hmm. have you had times where you felt like I really need to change
1: uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, if I think of, back on one of my work experiences, I'd been there probably for a few years, and you know by that point, I'd kind of reached a point where I, I just wasn't learning anything else. And I could do the job, that wasn't the issue, but I just wasn't feeling the same energy that I probably had when I first started it. So one of the things that I um, do invest in and, you know, if if people are at that point, I would highly suggest it, but I have an executive coach and um, she's amazing and her and I activate our relationship. I mean, I've probably been with her now for about four years. And, you know, there's months where I don't talk to her because I don't need it. But then there are months where I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I just I need just another sounding board. And so when I had kind of hit that point um, with this particular job, I called her up and it was good. It was totally it was it was worth the uh, the investment that I had made because she just was able to kind of clear my head of the clutter and just be like, okay, so, you know, you want to make a change. Pick a timeline. Was it six months, eight months, a year, and then let's kind of work backwards from there. So, yeah, it was good.
0: Can you tell? It says on your resume you worked at the UN for a bit. I did. Yeah. What was that like?
1: Amazing. Um, yeah. So after I went to uh, London School of Economics, I actually got a fellowship with the UN, and this kind of goes back to the volunteering. I had been volunteering with an organization for many, many years. And I didn't actually know, but they had they had actually submitted my name uh, for this fellowship. So I moved to Geneva, and I, I had the real honour of working for the UN Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. And uh, Louise Arbour, who was one of our former Supreme Court justices, became the head of the High Commission at that time. So she knew Canada's landscape very, very well. And I essentially... Um, Yeah, I was there for about four or five months with a cohort of other six fellows, Uh, you know, got a, I would say, almost like a hundred thousand foot view in terms of, you know, the world. And as a poli sci grad, this was probably like a bit of a dream job. But just, you know, understanding human rights from an international perspective was just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Geneva as a city is so interesting because you have this collusion of people from literally all across the world, right? Like you're at the UN and you can probably hear, I don't know, a dozen different languages being spoken around you. Um yeah, it was it was really amazing. And I will say I actually I got asked this question a few weeks ago in terms of just a pivotal moment in your life. And it was it was actually when I worked at the UN because okay. I, I do have moments where, you know, even on my bad days I go back to that and You just hear about some of the situations that people are facing internationally, you know, and you've got um, individuals who are like literally born in camps and grew up there and the trajectory that they have to take. And if they do make it to a country like Canada, I'm just so grateful, right? Even on the worst work days that you possibly have, at the end of the day, I think there's, you know, we live in a phenomenal city and we've definitely got a lot of, you know, work to do still for a lot of people in our city, but... It, it does give you pause after working you know at the u n and specifically in the area of like human rights or even refugees. It does give you pause sometimes to just be I think grateful for what we have here.
0: Yeah, I was going to talk to you about scale and just how you have done this at so many different levels and mm. even right now you work with federal and provincial yeah. and in the city and how do you communicate? The problems of a city to make them relevant to someone who's in like federal government.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think um, I think a couple of things. I mean, if I think back to my side days versus now, I actually think cities have just become so significantly important in as an actor internationally. Actually, I was at a presentation last week, and I think I heard something along the lines of. You know, by by 60 percent of the population are going to be in urban areas, i e. cities, and that is like huge when you think about it, right? Like there, you've got cities in Asia that are like larger than the entire country of Canada. So you know, we've got a prime minister obviously that talks a lot about the importance of cities. Um, you know, we're in a province that believes in uh, in in cities, and I think I think in terms of me personally, I guess I've just. It's one of the skill sets I've developed because I've been in rooms and I've had the training, the exposure to just move from international to federal, to city, to province. You know, when I was a management consultant, I consulted to the provincial side of things. So I just, I mean, I've been lucky. I've, you know, had a career that's probably about 20 years now. I'm totally dating myself. But I've, I've had access to both sides. So I worked for the federal government. So for me at the city to translate city policies and cities' um, importance to a federal government, I can kind of intuitively do that because I know what the, they're already looking for, if that makes sense, because I've been in that seat.
0: Yeah, so, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I just, I think you just have to be kind of fluid about your career and kind of see where it takes you. And it's a fine balance being, between being really deliberate and intentional and being like, I'm also just kind of going to be open to whatever comes my way.
0: I like this idea of intentionality, but also openness. Yeah. It's a nice mix. And I think it makes a lot of sense for people who are trying to think about where they're going and sometimes being a bit too deliberate can be the roadblock in itself. Totally.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Okay. I would agree. (laughs)
0: Uh, I think it's time for the lightning round brought to you by TD Insurance. It's the last thing we do. I'm just going to throw some questions at you. You can answer them. Um, Have you ever been fired? No. Uh, When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? A lawyer. And is that what you wanted to be when you started university? Yep. What advice do you have for someone who feels like they're in a career rut?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, sometimes you have to think of it as a bit of a blessing because maybe there's maybe you're just getting the white space that you need to be just thinking really clearly about what it is that you want and then what you need. Um, and then after that, I think it's a matter of just reaching out to some kind of key contacts. It doesn't have to be a ton. I think five or six people and just having a bit of a conversation and, and putting yourself out there, but like in a deliberate way. Like don't network for the sake of networking. Try and be really intentional. If you think that there's three organizations you wanna, you'd like to be part of, then go and seek them out.
0: What's something that you wish people knew about your job or maybe something that people don't understand about your job?
1: Um, if I have to describe my job, you have to be really okay living in the gray zone. So it, my job is not black and white, not even close. And uh, this, is not for, this is not for people who are extremely linear thinkers. And that's okay. I think we need linear thinkers as well. But you need to be okay with, with, with just living with a lot of questions and ambiguity in my position.
0: What do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in this job? Yeah,
1: I'd be an interior designer. I love HETV.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the best answers you. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about your job?
1: Uh, I would have to say it's the people. I get to meet just tons of people in tons of different organizations. And I, yeah, I really like that.
0: If you could go back in time and talk to yourself just after you graduated, is there any advice you'd give your old self?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's advice that was given to me, which I actually did activate, which was if you have the opportunity, go and live somewhere international, go and study somewhere international. Just take some time to go and understand the world.
0: In respect to your education or your career path, is there anything that you wish you had done?
1: No, I think that the 10 years my husband and I left Edmonton were were really, really fantastic. I think, you know, when I think kind of 15 years down the line, when my kids will be thinking about university, I'm also going to say even though it's probably going to, as a, as a mom now, I'm sure it'll be hard, but I will tell them, like, you should go and work abroad or go and study abroad, but just go do something abroad because I think that, um, it one, it does a couple of things. One, it completely expands your horizons, but two, I think it gives you this sense of empathy that the world is actually quite small and we're all in this together and we just kind of need to look out for each other.
0: Selena, thank you so much for thank joining. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of What The Job. And special thanks to our guest, Salima Ibrahim, for coming on and sharing her story. If you're looking for a way to connect with your UAlberta community for networking or mentorship or volunteer experience, why not check out UAlberta switchboard at uab.ca slash sboard. It's free to use and full of great opportunities. And if you're an alumni and you think you have a great career path that you want to share, or if you think you have career advice that you think would be useful, why not send us an email at wtj at That's it for this episode. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. See you next time.